Welcome, everybody. This is Peter Ravella on the American Shoreline podcast from EarthX in Dallas, Texas at Fair Park. Uh, boy, there was a couple of things we wanted to do when we came up to EarthX, and uh, this interview is one of them. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from the great state of Rhode Island is our guest on the podcast. Senator, welcome very much to the American Shoreline podcast. Thank you, Peter. Good to be with you. Well, I really uh, was able to hear your remarks. Uh, I thought they were absolutely insightful and brilliant and compelling. Uh, Tell me what brought you from uh, Rhode Island down here to Dallas, Texas, um, to attend EarthX. Uh, this is a gathering and perhaps the most prominent gathering of um, Republicans who are interested in environmental and climate issues. And they're a little bit insurgents within their party yep. because of the power of the fossil fuel industry over the party. So I would travel a considerable distance to help uh, be helpful and encouraging in any way that I can, because ultimately we are highly likely to need a bipartisan solution to avoid the calamities ahead. So uh, this is a great opportunity for me. Fantastic. And I think those words are well-spoken. Uh, calamity, I think, is uh, people think it's a little alarmist. It is not, if you pay attention to the science and the facts. And bipartisan, no doubt, that is absolutely essential. What I was uh, drawn to in your remarks, Senator, was the description you gave about the reputation of the United States as a world leader and our failure to effectively respond to this to being a real threat to our standing in the world. Can you help us understand that? Well, I'm the uh, son of a Foreign Service officer. Um, I'm also the grandson and the nephew of a Foreign Service officer. So that was kind of in the family. And um, growing up in foreign countries, you learn firsthand how important America is in the world. And you learn that people across the world look at America in a slightly different way than they do other countries. There's an expectation about us. Indeed. And it's an expectation that for generations we have honored. Look at what the greatest generation did in World War II, rebuilding Japan and Europe afterwards, and then going on to build a great American economy. It really was a pretty remarkable thing. People expect American leadership. And right now, we've walked out of Paris. We're pretending that climate change is a hoax. We're propagating all sorts of completely fabricated nonsense about the science. And that does not make America look good. Behind that problem with America um, is that our message has really been based on two pillars. One is democracy is the right way to go, not autocracy. And regulated market capitalism is the right way to go, not corrupt managed economies right that's a tough message for us to sell if our democracy is failing to address climate change and if we're per per persisting in protecting clear violations of ba basic rules of market capitalism like the giant subsidies we give fossil fuel by letting them pollute for free. Indeed. And I do think that you're quite right, that when the United States sets the example that this is not serious, that it does not need to be taken seriously in the government policy sector and what we do with our laws, but in our economy, uh, I'll tell you, there's a lot of folks out there in the world who don't want to deal with this either, and they take that cue. Uh, and w the 
the confrontation I think you're laying out here is the reality is that the world is going to continue to teach us that this is a real problem and we're going to be late to the game. Yeah. And we're giving up that leadership yeah. internationally. And, um, you know, you, you, this is a coastal show. Yes. And, and we're you're a coastal see, state. And I'm a coastal state. And we're going to see an awful lot of harm done from sea level rise. We're going to see an awful lot of harm done from fisheries that are migrating away from the people who fish them. Yes. We're going to see a lot of harm from the collapse of coral reefs as nurseries and as resources. And the people who are living close to the earth, yep. in particularly in foreign countries, who are going to suffer that harm, they are going to pay a price. Yeah. And when human beings pay a price, we want redress. It is a basic human nature. Uh, the first pair of words that a lot of kids will come up with are not fair. Right. Right. Every kid, before they learn anything else, they know what's fair and what isn't. It's a basic part of our humanity. And so when we in the wealthy first world and the wealthy advanced economies are propagating policies that cause a lot of harm right. in among people who are much poorer and much more c- close to the land than we are, when they suffer, they're going to look for a cause. Yeah. And there we're going to stand just as... as um, sitting at the starting line. Sitting at the starting line yeah. and setting a terrible example. Indeed. And, and you know, when you look at a country like the United States and, and, and the wealth that we have and starting to see the uh, responses and the investment that Congress is make, uh, making in the disaster supplementals, billions of dollars going to the Corps of Engineers, Mayor de Blasio in New York, a $10 billion program to protect Manhattan, right now a $32 billion proposal in Galveston in Texas to protect the Port of Houston. Good, Somebody good, knows good this Good luck is, paying for that in Bangladesh. Indeed. And, and, and we are acting on in some way, in spite of our denial on our behalf, but unwilling to take the leadership and to and putting these other people who are not in a position to handle the problem don't have the resources i do think that the retribution risk here for the united states is real it's very real we've stepped back from leadership and that's a bad mistake always we have compromised our argument that representative democracy is the way to go because if people have are suffering because of decisions made by a representative democracy yeah. that allowed itself to be corrupted by the fossil fuel industry so that it wouldn't act on plainly obvious science, you've got a problem on your hands. And when market capitalism is the other great pillar of value and we're not treating these fossil fuel companies under basic rules of economics, which are you put the externalities, the pollution into the right. price of the product, then we frankly aren't living our own values. Indeed. And when you're a values-based country and you don't live your own values, there's a price that you pay. Yeah, Senator, I just want to uh, follow up on that because I, I do think that one of the interests, you opened up with this discussion about, you know, you, some of your colleagues, your red colleagues are, are here and they're kind of the black sheep of, of the family. Um, where do you think is the where's where's the common ground that we can find um, as as a as a country, Democrats and Republicans, where we can uh, bring the fossil fuel industry, which employs 
many, many people and is a tremendous, I mean, here in Texas, the, what they call it the energy coast. I mean, it's a hugely important part of people's lives here, their livelihoods. How do we bring them into the fold? How do you, how would you lead on that? The only solution that makes sense to me is putting a price on carbon. Uh, that makes the market work again. That is Econ 101. You don't get to have one factory that throws all its trash in the river and another factory that pays to clean up and have them compete and call that market economics. Everybody's got to be on a level playing field, and that means that when you're creating waste and pollution, you're responsible for that and you need to pay for that. That is what the fossil fuel industry has been resisting. It's been a multi-hundred billion dollar per year advantage to them. It is a big deal. They fight brutally hard to protect it in Washington. And I think once you have applied a price on carbon, you generate significant revenues. The bill that I've written is about $2.3 trillion in revenues over 10 wow. years. With $2.3 trillion, we you can, can transition very comfortably to a renewable economy and you can invest in the type of carbon capture technology that allows fossil fuels to continue to have a role. If you don't do that, what you have for basically foregone is the parachute, Right. I think. I think the fossil fuel industry ends up in the same place, on the ground. The question is, have they plummeted without a parachute and landed with a terrible crash, mm. or have they managed and negotiated a safe landing? And a carbon price provides both the remedy to prevent the worsening of our climate change risk and the means for navigating the transition in a in a pain-free way in fact according to nobel prize winning economists in a way that if it's done at all right actually improves economic lift for everybody indeed in the in the transition to the new economy we can become leaders and industrial leaders in the next economy uh, the concept you're laying out is what you know in the in in the in the words of our conservative brethren is common sense this yeah. is about personal responsibility yeah. number one number two that you're responsible for your own messes yeah. you don't get to take the uh, the waste that you're producing and impose the ramifications and cost on society as a whole this is really straight down the middle conservative governing policy yeah isn't that interesting yeah and that's part of what indicates so clearly that there's the hand of the fossil fuel industry in this politics because they're not being dragged into uh socialistic no. or uh you know top down or liberal types mm -hmm. of thinking regulatory is, pressure it's not that this it's is economic yeah this is this is republican style economics in fact i spoke and lindsey graham and i spoke last night and there must have been 10 people that came up to me today and said you know what's funny <laughs> you are making the market argument right and your Republican interlocutor was making the like taxpayer funded uh, you know billionaire driven top-down right. uh, pick winners and losers argument I thought well yeah but that's kind of where the fossil fuel Isn't industry has forced them <laughs> you know I'm but we're back to economics now and, and I want to go back to where we started because I'm a romantic about America I am an American exceptionalist. I think that there is something special about this country and that we have a duty and a legacy and a future that is essential to the way the world turns out. And right now, 
we are not meeting our own values. Right. And if you compare the way we are behaving about climate change with the way the greatest generation behaved about a very yeah. different set of risks, we don't measure up at all well. We That's just it. don't measure up at all well. And from you know, John Winthrop to Ronald Reagan, we've described ourselves as a city on a hill. And from Daniel Webster to Bill Clinton, we've called the world to the power of our example as a country. And if we're going to be that way, if we're going to be a city on a hill that enjoys the power of being the example to which the rest of the world aspires, you don't get to fake it. Well, you don't get to fake it. You got to really live it. And at the moment, the way we've let the fossil fuel industry have completely undue and improper influence on our politics and the way we've backed away from basic market principles in order to subsidize and protect and cosset this industry is a terrible example. Yeah. And it's not just a hypothetical because if you're one of those farmers, you're one of those fishermen, you're a herdsman and you've lost your farm, you've lost your fishery, you've lost your herd, you can't grow raise, you know, and you are suffering and your family is in distress as a result, you're looking around and you're looking at us yeah. and it's not a good look. Surely. We need to polish up our look here. Can, I want to ask another question about kind of our psychology as a country right now. Obviously, it, it's, uh, I'm not the first one to describe us as like one of the most divided times in, in our nation's history. Obviously, we're coming into an election year. There's a lot of talk by certainly the Democratic uh uh, candidates about uh, uh, climate change. It's it's certainly in the in in the hopper of issues that are being talked about, and I'm wondering um, as and and I'm from California. My my family's town was engulfed by fire yeah. uh, two years ago, yeah. and um, there's an emotional reaction here. And I think that as the hurricane strengthened and as climate change, and and what you're talking about is a very sensible solution. Um, I'm wondering if uh, you. <laughs> I'm wondering if we and have by the, the way, yeah. I think every every Republican who I can think of who has looked at the climate change problem and thought it through to a solution, they've all come to the same place. Yeah. A price on carbon that is revenue neutral. You don't use it to fund big government. You give right. it back to the American people. So it's a wash. You don't take money out of the economy. You give it all back. And it's border adjustable so that you can incent other countries to do the same thing. And if they're not doing the right thing, you can tariff up their products so that they pay a price for not being serious about climate change. It's, it's Everybody smart. comes to that carbon price that is revenue neutral and border adjustable. So I'm basically saying yes to what all the Republicans who have come to a solution have come to. I want to ask you as a senator, uh, though, about the um, you know, you're one of the leaders of our country, one of the, the in the higher branch of, of the Congress. Um, you travel around. You I, uh, you definitely have a better uh, temperature for for the American people than I do. And I'm wondering what your opinion is on our ability to you to, to be both left brain and right brain in our solution. I mean, what you're describing is is almost a. Uh, forensic, like okay, we've got a clear problem. There's a deficit here. We can t to raise the price. Yes. It's analytically correct, but is yes. it emotionally? Tell me. Attractive? I want to hear the emo your emotional analysis. Well, I think the emotional analysis is, um, you know, multifold. Whether you're an evangelical and you believe in the duty we have as mankind to protect God's creation, or whether right. you are 
you know, sympathetic to the plight of others and you see the suffering that is going to ensue, or whether you have a personal contact with the world around you, the place you like to fish, the place you like to hike, the slopes you like to ski, and you see that changing around you so that it's hitting you in your gut. There are a lot of ways in which I think the emotion of it is picking up, but I will concede that the denial side has done a better job of touching people's emotional cords than we have. A slick propagandist who goes straight to talk radio with a media-tested message is always going to have an advantage over a scientist who has to go through peer review and write cautiously to survive the scrutiny of his colleagues and is trying to get at the truth, not trying to convince people of something that's phony so there's not a big BS component in it. It's just... We're at a big, big disadvantage and we've kind of been satisfied that the world will look around and say, yeah, but look what all the scientists are saying. We should do that. And we haven't adequately addressed this huge manufactured propaganda machine that the fossil fuel industry has put up to create all this spin, nonsense, fear, denial, all this junk that they've put into. Frankly, they've polluted our political atmosphere as badly as they've polluted our natural atmosphere. Senator, on the EPW committee, I understand you sit on the EPW committee in the Senate and the key, and, and the key committee, where I think this issue would be discussed and raised. Uh, are you seeing progress in the discussion within the committee, either at the staff level or on the member level? Have we got a foothold? Um, I would say that we the, the conversations that we're hoping for have not yet begun, but the discomfort yeah. of a lot of Republican colleagues with the position that they are now in is palpable. Okay. It was easy to be a denier just a couple of years ago. It feels really awkward now. If you're trying to talk to young voters, if you go to your home state university, if you know somebody who's a fisherman or a hunter and has seen this happening, if you have a farming community that uh. knows what's going on, there are just a million ways in which these folks are in a pickle right now because they've got a political obstacle that they know they've got to figure out a way around and they just haven't figured that out yet okay so the discord the discordant feeling is starting to arise maybe a slight sense of political risk involved in being persistent and hardline uh that's ignoring obvious facts it's a a beginning it's a beginning and it's It's progressing and it's across the board i mean look when you've got oil company ceos saying this is our product. It's causing climate change. We understand it, and we support a carbon price. Yeah. Now, they're not telling the truth. None of that is true. They don't believe any of that, or they believe it, but they're not acting on it. Let's put it that way. Their political and electioneering posture hmm. is still 100%. We don't have anything to do with this. This problem isn't real, and we for sure aren't going to support any price on carbon. Well, wow. But the fact that at the CEO level, they need to say that that they need to they know that they need to pretend yeah that's progress that's progress that's progress it's in the, it's in and the eventually CEO will seep down to the lobbyists and to the front groups and to the people who go out and deal with uh, candidates it, it it's it's moving in our direction well let me ask you one thing this is really getting into the weeds but we were fascinated when we saw the irs code provision 45 hue come out with the tax credit for uh secure carbon sequestration a tax credit credit that's potentially worth 2.5 billion to five billion a year depending on the numbers here uh that is likely to be handed to the oil and gas industry and i thought gee whiz so somewhere up there 
President Trump signed a bill that included a, a specific investment provision uh, for uh, in the tax code for carbon sequestration. Do, what's the story behind that? I'm fascinated by that provision. Well, the other piece about it, if you look at it just a slightly different way, it is that this is the first time that Congress has actually put a price on carbon. Indeed. We did it in a very segmented area Back only for carbon way. capture. Yeah. And we did it in the form of a positive right. price in the form of a tax credit. Right. But it, we crossed the Rubicon. I believe so. We crossed the Rubicon, crossed the Rubicon. And, and I think that's really significant. And now it's only a matter of degree okay. to get to the point where we are talking about a, a real price on carbon and having the market actually work properly the way it's supposed to in this area and not just have the 45Q experiment right. be the uh, incubator. Right. Well, I think a lot of people in the country would be pleased to see that that came out of the Congress and was signed by the president in 2018. Very bipartisan. Because, yeah. And John it, Barrasso and I are on very different sides on this, but it, both of our bills, senators from West Virginia, right. uh, were on it. Um, so it's been that was a that was a very productive piece of bipartisan legislation. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, can Senator, I say one last yes, thing before you wrap up? You have as much time as you want. We said a moment ago that um, you know, this is one of the most divided times. I just want to add a little bit of a of of my view on that. You know, we had students shot at Kent State University while young people were burning their draft cards and people thought the country was coming apart. We had a civil war that had catastrophic casualties that tore our country apart. So we have been through very rough times before in terms of division. I don't think we meet those standards. I think there's a slightly different proposition here. Hmm. And I think things really got rotten in January of 2010 when the Supreme Court rendered a sickening decision in a case called Citizens United. Yeah. And they, five of them, all Republican appointees, unfortunately, got together and decided that they would let big special interests, who have been a problem in politics since the dawn of politics, yeah. back in Greek and Roman days. You betcha. Special interests were trying <laughs> to get into done, the Roman yeah. Senate and That's fix right. things. That's like, exactly right. It's as old as time. And these knuckleheads didn't realize that when you give giant special interests the ability to spend unlimited money secretly you move enormous political power to those giant special interests and then when you don't do anything about them figuring out immediately how to do it secretly right you add to the problem it makes it even worse because there's no accountability any longer if ExxonMobil comes at me and runs $2 million of advertisement saying Sheldon Whitehouse is no good, he's in our face all the time, we don't like him, we think that coal and, and oil provide a lot of jobs, and so don't vote for him. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can probably turn that ad to my advantage. Yeah. But when it comes in anonymously, when it's Rhode Islanders for peace and puppies and prosperity or some phony front group yeah. that comes in and because it's nobody real, they can say awful things with yes. no accountability and they spend several million dollars just trashing me in any possible way they can make up, that's a much worse threat. And the big fossil fuel, the big interest, whether it's fossil fuel or not, can then just make the threat. Yeah. They don't actually have to spend the money. Once they're empowered to spend the money, all they got to do is make the threat. And that threat is always going to be something that's very secret, well beyond just not identifying who spent the money. So this whole array of yeah. unlimited special interest money 
hidden in dark money channels and allowing these threats and promises to be made in back rooms, that has just rotted out Mm. a lot of what our capacity to act act is. Our political system to handle and address challenges of this magnitude with this kind of economic implication. I mean, we've sort of and people, tied our hands people, behind people our People backs. know it and they sense it. It shows up in the polling. They may not be able to connect the dots as to exactly how special interest money has affected this, but, yeah. but people in America can tell when their government isn't responding to them. And academic studies confirm that in fact, unless you're very rich, there is statistically zero interest on the part of our government in what your opinion is. And so, they know there is this problem, and yeah. that is, I think, what a lot of what looks like division is about. It's frustration. And if we could solve this dark money problem and put the big special interests back in their cages where they belong so they've got a fair voice but not a dominant and domineering voice, then I think a lot of what looks like division right now in our country goes away. Wow, that's the root cause. Of that's a, citizen that to me is a root cause, a yeah. significant root cause. Wow. So with that, thank you for having me on. Senator, thank you so much. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from the great state of Rhode Island, one of the amazing coastal states in America. Thank you so much for joining us on the American Trolling My podcast. pleasure, Peter. Thank Our you. Privilege. Thank you so much. Sometimes it just seems that I just belong for the ride. Some do cry because they're frightened Someone who's loved him has died Singing while I'm out